field work is brought to you in part by General Mills, which is partnering with farmers and suppliers to advance regenerative ag practices on a million acres of farmland by 2030. Welcome back to another episode of the Fieldwork Podcast. This is a podcast for farmers by farmers where we talk about sustainable egg practices. I am one of the hosts, Zach Johnson. I'm Mitchell Hora. Happy to be back on um, another good episode here talking about supply chain incentives and a lot moving here with big companies, little companies. Everybody seems to kind of be throwing their hat into sustainability, regenerative ag, um, incentivizing supply chains and whatnot and driving that back down to the farm. So an interesting conversation to be had here today. Yeah. So it's really uh, driven by consumer demand a lot. You know, the consumers are demanding fun labels and, and better, better environmentally friendly practices, whether that's conservation tillage or, or, you know, words like, uh, sustainability and, and stewardship and whatever those words may mean to you. But, but that is what the consumers really are driving. And so um, that's something that, that brands are able to really, you know, take advantage of and, and be able to work with farmers to try and, and accomplish those things, whatever it may mean to the individuals and to the brands and to the consumers and the farmers. But how do we make that, as Mitchell said, economically viable on the farm so that farmers can implement those different practices and really be able to meet those demands? Well, Zach, today we are going to find out how we're going to do it. We got the answers sitting here in the room and we're going to get to the bottom of it. So uh, super excited. We got Jerry Lynch is joining us here. He's the chief sustainability officer at General Mills. Thanks for coming in today. Glad to be here. Jerry, why don't you start out as he said, you are the chief sustainability officer with General Mills. Why don't you talk to us a little bit and tell us kind of what your experience is when it comes to the, the consumer pressure for sustainable egg practices? Sure. When we look at this, we look at it both from a consumer and a supply chain point of view. So we actually start this work with the supply chain. We've been in business for 150 years. And when we look out 150 years, there's lots of things that we see that we have to continue to do to stay in business, particularly because we're so dependent on agriculture. We take the output of agriculture, we turn it into food products that are relevant for consumers to get the nutrition that they need in the midst of their busy lives. So um, it's it's something that we pay a lot of attention to. And consumers are paying more and more attention to this. We, we see that. Uh, that is a steady, gradual increase over time. Um, and there are certainly, we always say there is no such thing as the consumer, because there's over 7 billion of, of them on the planet. And they all have different preferences, particularly when it comes to food. But uh, we certainly see uh, continued growth in this area. Um, and we see some consumers who are very interested in it. And we see other consumers who uh, are focused on other attributes uh, that are in the midst of, a, you know, a very busy, hectic life with limited incomes. who are just trying to make ends meet and, and uh, can't think as hard about their food choices. Jerry, uh, I think you've been very busy here this spring already with some of the different programs that General Mills is rolling out, um, especially wanting to look, you know, I will leave it open-ended to you, but tying in the things going with the Ecosystem Service Marketplace Consortium, right. I think it's extremely exciting. Um, but also, of course, your interest in implementing regenerative agriculture. Um, what's your views on how do we get the economics to tie in on some of this? Right. What are the steps that we need to be taking? 
Well, the most exciting thing about regenerative agriculture is it lifts so many boats at the same time. And so what we've seen from the early pioneers in this space is that they're more profitable because their costs are lower and typically at the same or better yield levels. Uh, and so as producers adopt uh, these practices and principles, they're able to uh, not only produce the environmental benefits, but also reap the profitability. So what we've brought alongside, we have a target to reach a million acres of regenerative agriculture uh, in our supply chain by 2030. And uh, what we've brought alongside is technical assistance. Producers who are participating in this program, and we've started in our oat supply chain because we buy a few oats for Cheerios and Nature Valley and Cascadian Farm. It consists of several days of deep dive training, free one-on-one -on -one consulting for the first several years as farmers adopt these principles. So we're, we're somewhat practice agnostic, but we want them to really push the principles because what we see is greater farmer profitability, greater farm resilience, and all sorts of environmental benefits, lower carbon footprint, better water management, better biodiversity on the landscape. So you talked about the, the regenerative principles right. that General Mills wants to implement on a million acres uh, by 2030, I believe it was. Right. When you say regenerative principles right. and, and putting the principles into action, can you explain exactly what you're talking about when you, when sure. you say that? Yeah. They're actually USDA principles for regenerating soil. So uh, keeping the soil covered, crop diversity, integrating animals back into, into the ecosystem, into the farm wherever possible, keeping a living root in the soil, and minimizing soil disturbance. Those are really the five core principles. And then there are lots of practices that feed into those. So the basic principle is soil health and being able to really exactly. implement, you know, it all ties in together. That's that's good. Yeah. And then what we're looking for is we're looking to see outcomes. That's why we've taken an outcome-based approach. So what we'll be measuring is soil health on these farms. We'll be measuring above-ground biodiversity. And we'll be measuring farmer economic resilience because we want to see all those things move in a positive direction. We really want to see a difference here, but we're trying to make it as clearly defined, but as open as possible to innovation so that as many producers across all spectrums can participate. You talked about, you touched on how um, you've seen farmers be more profitable mm -hmm. with a lot of this because because due to uh, less expenses mm -hmm. on some of that stuff and actually are seeing better yields. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if, if that was simplistically true, mm -hmm. farmers would jump on this one after another, right? Mm -hmm. So, so can you describe what the challenges are? Because, you know, as sure. a farmer and as the farmers listening, I mean, we all know that it, it isn't just as simple as implementing these practices and, right. and next year you'll have better yields and be more profitable. It is a different, uh, it is a, a somewhat involved approach. And you, you guys can probably explain it better than I can because I'm not a, I'm not a producer, obviously, but uh, it is a more complex approach and it is to some degree and it is one that you uh, that is different than many producers have used to some extent, and what we see is that farmers who adopt multiple principles sooner, faster, get to profitability faster. But that first year, the leading producers would say it's really not till the end of that first year that you start to see a change in your soil, or you can start to notice a few more earthworms in the soil. You can start to see better water retention, and then by the second and third year, then you start to really. Reap the, reap the benefits of it. And that's what we've talked a lot about, you know, and, and on my farm down in Southeast Iowa, that's exactly what we saw too, you know. So some initial hurdles to get through, 
Um, but then we were able to really see some other benefits so quickly as well in the soil. Like I said, even in that first year, and I've got a lot of you know data now on guys going from conventional tillage and then implement a cover crop and whatnot, change some things pretty drastically. And we can pick out some of those benefits in a short amount of time. And what are some of those soil health characteristics or some of those quantifiable tools uh, that you guys are, are looking at right now? How do we start to quantify some of those things so we can be prepared uh, to be able to work with you guys going forward? The key things that we've seen in soil health measurement, and you would know this as well as, as I do, is, is uh, the soil organic matter because that's a key, kind of a leading indicator of where things are, are going to head. Aggregate stability, the uh, microbiota underneath the, the soil, uh, those are all key aspects. And then, of course, the nutrient effectiveness of the soil. So those are indicators of health of future crops as well as indicators of resilience. That's one of the other exciting things about this work is that farms that have really good soil health do much better in really wet years and really dry years. Because uh, they either have more nutrients to carry them through and more water to carry them through, or they're able to absorb a lot more water. One of the things we see as farmers is there's a lot of technical support and a lot of assistance and education out there. But when it comes to actually helping us pay for some of the, the added costs of, of maybe implementing some of these different practices, Jerry, how, how does General Mills plan to, to navigate that when they're talking about, you know, implementing this on a, on a million acres over the next uh, 10, 11 years? Yeah, well... Part of the technical assistance program that we're providing is in the plan that farmers build for year one, really looking at the soil nutrition profile and being able to already start to dial back on some of the nutrient input and other inputs that might be required uh, so that you can afford a cover crop. Or um, And then that technical assistance really gets into all the nitty-gritty if you're going to try no-till and cover cropping. After you come out in the, in the fall and the harvest, When do you go in? What kind of a mix do you need for your latitude, I guess it is, right? How long do you you let it go? Do you bring in animals to graze it after a certain amount of time before winter comes? How do you terminate it in the spring? So that's a key part of the technical assistance. In some cases where we've got a specific need, we've worked through our supplier to provide longer-term contracts so that the producer has, you know, a guaranteed market for their offtake. That's a key part of it. And then we're, we're clearly looking for opportunities to tap into NRCS programs as well for the producer. So for our listeners who are interested in more info, especially on like the technical assistance program, that sounds really cool, um, where they can go and get some help. How does that work? How do they get signed up? And what, what does it look like? Maybe a little bit more is what I'm asking. Yeah, sure. We... We extend our work through our supply sheds. So another, like shed, for you to, another shed for you to keep track of, right? Uh, places, regions where we're buying the ingredients for our food products. And as many of you know, in, in commodities, um, they are a commodity supply chain. So we're not creating a separate identity preserve supply chain for these crops. Uh, and, but we do know generally where the supply sheds, where our suppliers are pulling from. Uh, and so we'll work with our suppliers to do recruitment in those supply sheds. Um, and sometimes we'll go to conferences, et cetera. So we've started in Oats. We've started in uh, up in some of the Canadian provinces and North Dakota where our suppliers are, are uh, purchasing from and doing outreach there to advertise the soil health academies and do recruitment into the program. Um, and 
in some cases, theoretically, these farmers may actually not be in our physical supply shed because the oats they grew that year didn't make it into the bin that came to us, you know, just like a standard kind of supply chain operates. But that's okay. Um, we, because we're interested in seeing the full supply shed move in that direction, we also believe that the more producers we can get in a region moving in a similar kind of direction, the more support there'll be for each other. I do want to come back to the, I brought it up briefly earlier, but Ecosystem Service Marketplace Consortium, I think, is the ability to scale kind of what he's talking about. So to preface that, a very new organization that's put together, but it's ADM, Bungie, Cargill, General Mills, Indigo Ag, McDonald's, Mars Incorporated, Noble Research Institute, Soil Health Institute, Nature Conservancy. Um, so how do you see that as coming about? I think that's a really cool group to come together um, saying, okay, we need to find a new focus of this. And on all organizations that have been in this fight for a while, uh, what makes this organization different? different and the approach that they have uh, different. It's a really fun initiative and I think one that'll be really important and one of several that we're taking to expand these kinds of practices in agriculture. And I call them producer practical practices, if you will. Um, so I've had the pleasure of sitting on the steering committee for that consortium for the past two years. And it was started by the Noble Research Institute where they pulled people together from all different aspects to develop what's the best way to enable producers to rebuild soil health. And it was really around the focus around soil health specifically. Um, academics, uh, NGOs, companies like ours, companies across the agricultural spectrum, um, consultants who work in this space, foundations. Um, and we very quickly got to a place where we need to develop a market-based approach that will enable the producer to receive incentives for many of these ecosystem services. Well, then we started to narrow down what are the services. So it focuses on soil carbon, water quality, and water quantity management. That's the first three quote-unquote credits that are going to be generated on this market. And the idea is that by building soil health, you are able to generate credits against all three of those just by doing one thing building this, regenerating your soil. Um, and so the producer is actually focused on just one thing, but generating credits that anybody who wants those benefits can then buy on a voluntary market. Um, and uh, whether it's carbon offsets or whether it's water quality credits or whether it's water management credits. And different constituencies will want different things. So lots of companies will want carbon credits that, uh, that they can use for offsets. Uh, and government entities will as well. I'm guessing municipalities are going to be interested in water quality credits because they're interested in not having to invest in, in uh, gray infrastructure. Uh, I can see other players being interested in the water quantity management, including municipalities and perhaps even insurance companies who want to manage risk. So the goal is over the next three years, we've developed protocols to prove out those protocols in lots of different cropping and grazing systems in the U.S. and then to stand up a national market, voluntary market by 2022. And who knows if other types of markets um, develop more regulated markets, this is just a natural fit right into those markets so that farmers can get rewarded um, for helping to be part of the solution. 
my observation in this space, one of the reasons why we're so excited is because agriculture is one of the few sectors of the economy that the way business is done, the way we do farming, can actually help to solve many of our planetary problems in addition to our farming community challenges. Um, we can actually help farmers be more profitable, more economically resilient, and we can lower carbon footprints, and we can do a better job of managing water quality and quantity um, for today and for the future. So it's really exciting. There's In the work that we've been doing over the last 10 years, there's nothing like this one thing, regenerating soil health, to drive so many benefits all at the same time. It's very rare to find that. So a company essentially can go on there and say, hey, we want to do our part to offset carbon right. or water quality impact that we feel that you know we've had on the environment. And we're, we're stepping up saying, hey, we've been a part of the problem here as well, that we have emitted carbon into the atmosphere. We have driven markets that, can end up polluting our water and whatnot. And we want to do our part to offset that. So they say, Hey, we're going to put into the pot, you know, $3 million or, you know, a million dollars or whatever to offset carbon and, and to put it back in the soil. So they say, okay, here, ecosystem service marketplace consortium here's, or whoever it may be, like right. I said, maybe it's jumping on somebody else. Here's a million dollars, you know, coming from our profits or whatever that we want to dedicate to this. Then a farmer like Zach and I can go to the go to you and say, "Hey, here's my data that I've been able to offset carbon. I'm building my soils. I've built organic matter, organic carbon, biological activity in my soil, and I want to be reward. You know, reward me for the effort that I've done. And I'm helping to tell your story. And I'm the one who is directly offsetting your carbon and whatnot. You know, the, those offsets, those credits that you can buy." So now I can be rewarded for this impact on my farm, I think is really cool. Yeah. Well, the so the whole this whole marketplace consortium thing to me, I mean, you guys have worked with that a lot. You know exactly what's going on there. A lot of that is over my head, um, but it is really interesting hearing you guys talk about it and wondering where that might go. You know, seeing seeing some of the names that that have tied in with this and and what the the what the motive is behind it. I think, I mean, those are big names. Those have got to be big dollars and, and that's got to be a real movement with people and like the organic industry. That's, that's kind of where my head goes first because the organic industry did a really good job several years ago and, and, and still do, you know, they still do a great job, but they've always done a good job of, of really sort of, of marketing, of, of using the word organic and, and putting it on, on products and, and really, being able to push that and, and communicate that with with um, with consumers and and you know love it or hate it what they do has has a lot of pull and has and 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 has been effective and so what, is there anything that you guys have learned from the organic industry and the or, organic push in their ways of marketing that that sort of helps you out with with your initiative and then kind of spinning off of that you know when it comes to the the premium that organic consumers will pay that they're willing to pay for that label and and a lot of that oftentimes comes back on the farmer so me as a farmer i i can directly earn more money for my product by by growing it organically have you been able to implement that in your initiative at all or or how do how do we get some of those dollars those beneficial dollars that come with using words like sustainability and 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 these things how do we get that to come back to the farmer to maybe 
see some of that to drive the economics all the way back right. to those and when making. the consumers are willing to pay more for it how do we get some of that back to the farmer who who was going through a little bit more for it because I, I think that's the thing is that at you know at least at first maybe not to us in this room but to a lot of consumers if you're buying organic then that also means sustainable right and conservation and if you're not buying organic then that doesn't mean sustainable and, and conservation and all those fun words that we like to throw around and and act like it's easy to implement and, and it, they all mean something different to somebody else. But the fact is, is that, you know, you can, you can have incredible conservation practices and, and you can be a really sustainable farmer and you can have sustainable practices. And to me, you know, using powerful technologies like genetically engineered seed or GMOs is part of a good sustainable farming system. In my eyes, as long as you use that technology correctly, that is a huge component to being sustainable. So it's 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 difficult to educate the consumers on the fact that you know they, they don't necessarily organic doesn't mean sustainable and and inorganic doesn't mean not sustainable. There's no doubt that the much of what we've been talking about today are principles that were at the inception of the organic movement 30 40 years ago. Uh, and so much of what is now called regenerative really grew out of a lot of the early lessons in that space. The, as I said before, there's no such thing as the consumer. So there's lots of different levels of consumer engagement, how much they really pay attention to it. Um, we did a study with one of our brands several years ago, and we asked consumers, uh, how much do you read the label uh, and the nutritional label on products? 70% of them said, I always read it. But then when you watch them in store, only 3% actually take the time to turn the label. And the typical consumer will take about four seconds to decide between product A and product B. So this is a fairly complex topic to be able to, to get across. Um, we've had brands that are starting to talk about this. Our Annie's brand, our Cascadian Farm brand, our Epic brand have started to talk about soil health and regenerative practices. And I think you'll see more of our brands start to talk about it as we continue the work on our supply chain. Our Epic Meat Snacks business has experimented with the Savory Institute's Ecological Outcome Verification Seal as a way to provide simple communication uh, to help consumers get into it because that's a great pathway. But I do think there's going to be need a need to educate consumers more on this topic in order for them to really understand that great food starts with healthy soil. It's the foundation of everything that we do. Well, and just an interesting conversation to keep on having on how that all ties together. There's a lot of people getting involved in that. Soil Health Institute is obviously, um, you know, having a focus on that. There's a lot of conferences and whatnot. I just got an email that they've got their second uh, conference about um, soil health to human health kind of deal coming out. So um, interesting kind of conversation, whatnot, to keep on having and one that we can obviously keep on going on for forever about. Another one of those, another conversation that I don't really want to end. But. No, there's a lot of questions I still have, but but a conversation hopefully we can continue to have with you guys too and keep fostering. Um, and we want to continue to foster that conversation with our farmers as well. Hopefully you guys get some insight from this as well. So for our listeners or watchers on YouTube, be sure, drop us a note here, hit us up. Um, Zach and I would love to continue this conversation and pass along those things. Great conversation. Thank you genuinely for coming in today. This has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate it. And thank you to all the people who helped make the Fieldwork podcast possible. 
Amy Scotchless Cole, Annie Baxter, Dan Ackerman, Lauren Humpert, Todd Melby, Laura Doherty, and Dom DeFirio. Our theme song is written and performed by Johnny Vince Evans. You can go to fieldworktalk.org to learn more about what we're up to. We are uh, Fieldwork Talk on YouTube, also at Fieldwork Talk on Twitter and Facebook. And, uh, of course, you can have a conversation with Zach or myself on our personal Twitters as well. Uh, we might have to just link those up, though, if you aren't good at spelling. Um, but it's at Farm Millennial and at Continuumag LLC. If you want to find us on our Twitter, hit us up there. If you like the show, it'd be awesome to write a review and tell your friends. This has been another fun episode of the Fieldwork Podcast. Thank you for listening, and make sure you check out the rest of them.